wherever you are on your spiritual journey. It's right out there, huge letters outside the doors of our church. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you're welcome here. We are a community that upholds the idea that each and every one of us is on a spiritual journey. Some of us are just starting out. Some of us have been venturing along for decades, some for decades upon decades. Some of our journeys have been on well-lit paths that are open. Some of us have been on journeys with rocky paths, with roadblocks, darkness, unknowingness, sometimes paths with thorns, sometimes paths where we don't even have a compass. And my guess is if we were to all go down to the Sunday school classrooms, pick up some crayons and try to map out our spiritual journeys, we discover that our paths for most of us have been very diverse. But before picking up the first crayon and before making that very first mark on the paper, we'd have to decide, where do I begin? Where does the story of my relationship with God, my relationship with Jesus, where does that start? So we just heard the very first verses of the very first chapter of what's broadly understood to be the very first gospel, the gospel of Mark. And where does he begin? Not in a manger. There's no angel announcing anything to Mary. There's no star in the sky. There are no wise men. In Mark, there isn't a birth narrative at all. There's a grown-up John the Baptist, and there's a grown-up Jesus, right from the get-go. Mark's gospel begins, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, and we cut to a scene in the wilderness, a scene that Mark tells us right up front is a fulfillment of what the prophets wrote, a scene that points to the culmination of what the people of Israel have been longing for, waiting for, for thousands of years. The story of Mark's gospel says that the beginning of the beginning of Jesus' story is this person crying out in the wilderness, John the baptizer. He's inviting people to journey out of their regular lives. Come, come way out here into the desert. Start turning away from life as you know it, the pain we cause, the pain we experience. Come, be forgiven. Let the water, this remarkable water running right through the desert in the Jordan River, let this water cleanse you. Let this baptism open your heart to something greater to come, something that is far greater than me. So what happens? People from all around the Judean countryside come, and all the people of Jerusalem go out to him. All the people of Jerusalem, the gospel says, are making a trek which is probably about 20 miles on foot, a day or, or two, out to see someone who is offering forgiveness. 
It'd be like us heading out to the beach and walking south all the way down to Palos Verdes. Imagine all the people of Santa Monica walking down there. And John the Baptizer wasn't in a plush, fabulous neighborhood like Palos Verdes. He was smack in the middle of the desert, in a place that looks a lot like the desert that we drive through if we go out to Palm Springs or up to Las Vegas. So let's think for a second. What would inspire people to drop everything, walk 20 miles into the middle of nowhere? I can't think of anything more powerful or more motivating than a radical message of hope. Hope that our hearts can be set right. Hope that our lives can be set right. Hope that there's enough radical change that the world can be set right. John's call reached into the hearts of a people who were living under Roman occupation. And this was after hundreds of years of living under foreign power after foreign power, after living in exile in Babylon, and after some of them becoming refugees in foreign lands. And I can only imagine there being a pervasive air, a pervasive temptation to enter into hopelessness. Yet this hopelessness for the people of Israel was intention with God's promises in scripture for deliverance, for liberation from life's shackles, for the triumph of goodness and love and justice for all. So here comes John the Baptist crying into the hopeless wilderness of their hearts. In such a way, they drop everything. Now think about how the word that John proclaimed must have spread person to person, you know, way before the internet. Perhaps it spread like what we used to call when I worked in a huge office building, sneaker net. Maybe in first century Jerusalem, it was sandal net. The equivalent today might be a viral video, a viral call to action flying around Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And if John the Baptizer were here today, the viral proclamation would be something so powerful, it would cut through all that noise in our lives, in our inboxes, on Twitter, Instagram, wherever we hang out, online or in the world. It would have to be so spiritually strong that it would cut through into the hearts of our own wilderness, the heart of any anguish we carry, be it personally, politically, socially. John's proclamation is so strong that it inspired hope, hope that the impossible might be possible. And I see last January's call to the Women's March as having elements of this. It was a call that millions of people around the globe responded to, a call that a lot of people in this congregation responded to. And this overwhelming response, I believe, was fundamentally rooted in deep hope, hope that there can be change. And I wonder if credit is due 
in part to this march for planting the seeds for all the women coming forward to speak their truth so publicly about sexual harassment, abuse, and even assault in the workplace. Hashtag me too. All of us on social media platforms after Harvey Weinstein's abuses came to life were overwhelmed with posts, countless women proclaiming hashtag me too. I've experienced sexual harassment at work. Now, personally, I'm profoundly grateful this hasn't happened for me in many years. But when I look back at a decade or so of working in Silicon Valley, and I look back at about 15 years of working on documentary films before I entered the priesthood, I more than qualify for that hashtag me too. Rebellion, anger at injustice doesn't get expressed unless there's hope hope that life can be different, hope that there's something we can do, a hashtag me too in our lives, in our chaotic, messy, complicated lives, there can be hope. John the Baptist's proclamation that Jesus is coming says that there's something we can do now, right here, right now. We can begin to engage with hope or re-engage with hope. To start connecting with divine hope, a promise of change, a promise of salvation, that's what John the Baptizer's proclaiming. And the hope, the fulfillment of the hope, that's Jesus. So the beginning of the beginning, it's that cry into the wilderness of our hearts. God's good news, one scholar writes, is found on the edge of everything. It goes beyond boundaries of where we think God ought to be or God might be. God isn't just here in this sanctuary and living in churches all around, just like God wasn't just in the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus comes to us in all our diversity, in every aspect of our lives, in all of creation. So the beginning of the beginning of our own journey is responding to that call. We're invited to prepare for change. John the Baptizer invites us to prepare for the coming of Jesus by opening ourselves to being cleansed. Let us begin to free ourselves from the ways we collude with injustice, the ways we cause pain. Let us free ourselves from the stuff we want to banish to those regions we don't think about, the stuff we don't want to admit that we do. Repent is the word John the Baptist used. Or maybe a more accurate translation is turn around. Respond to God by turning away from self-centric living to God-centric living. And in responding, there's forgiveness. In responding, we make room for Jesus to fully enter our lives. That sounds so simple in words, but it is not easy. Admitting, or in religious terminology, we say confessing those things we've done and left undone, that's not an easy task. 
Sometimes it means stepping out to speak a truth we don't want to speak. A young friend of mine a couple of weeks ago experienced sexual harassment in a pretty bad way at her work at a Midwestern Fortune 500 company. Now this is a company that's upheld as one of the best places in America to work. So it's a bit of a shock because her experience there had been very good up until a few weeks ago. And yet within one hour, and I would guess in part emboldened by all the other voices that have been speaking out in truth, within one hour, this young woman stepped forward and told her boss that her boss's boss had made inappropriate advances. Now the good news in this case is that man was fired. There's a happy ending that doesn't happen for everyone. But the even better news is what has happened in the heart of this young person. She's emboldened to speak truth. She feels able and stronger through the grace of God, through speaking truth, to move forward. So every week we have an opportunity to speak these truths, to bring these truths to light when we say the confession together. And our confession is followed by the Eucharist, where we partake in our own encounter with Jesus, the Jesus that John the baptizer is promising is coming. We do our confession, we get forgiven, we come to the table, and we bring the living body and blood of Christ into our lives. So this is a special time before Christmas. It's a time to hear the cry of eternal hope, to hear the promise of the power of God coming into this world. Together, may we prepare our hearts, our minds, and our souls for Jesus. For wherever you are on your spiritual journey, wherever we are on our spiritual journeys, let us prepare the way of the Lord.